Marcus Peters has been in the conversation for potentially being brought back by the Baltimore Ravens for a while now. And after a social media comment, there's even more speculation surrounding the move. We talk about if the Ravens should bring Peters back, what it would mean for them, and a lot more coming up next year on this Purple Friday edition of Locked On Ravens. You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast here. I am your host, Kevin Allstriker of Ravenswire. We're here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks so much for being here with us today, making us your first listen each and every day here on episode 995 for me. We're five away from 1,000, which is it's such a crazy milestone to think about. So next Friday is that milestone for me. But here with me today on this Purple Friday, I have my purple on my screen. It's looking kind of yellow, though, and his screen is looking right over there. It's former Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, Super Bowl champion, Kadri Ismael. And here we got OTAs week one officially in the books. Lamar Jackson's present. We had that conversation. Would he be there? Would he not be there? He was present on the fields at OTAs. And I think that was a sight for many people's sore eyes. And now we can stop the talk of, oh, he's not a leader and he doesn't care about the team. He he would he cares about the team if, even if he wasn't there. But I think I'm glad to finally have that discourse kind of out of the way. Yeah, you know, it's it's great to see that the way in which the offseason started off was somewhat tumultuous. Uh, the injuries, the game, the way it ended, then going into the Lamar Jackson contract talks, uh, all that, you kind of get the sense that it's behind you. Now that he's in camp and doing his thing, all the, in my mind, noise, the outside noise can kind of quiet, if you will, and the business of football can come, come, uh, come to the forefront. Yeah, and that, that's huge because I, I tweeted about it yesterday, and I don't know if you felt this way, Q. I know I did, but just seeing him run on the field in the Ravens jersey after looking back after that whole roller coaster of a contract situation, all the uncertainty, will he be there, will he not? I mean, it was a gratifying feeling just to see him and, and know that he is a Baltimore Raven with that mega contract for the next five years. And he went and posted on Instagram about it, said he was happy to be back on the field, and then under that post on Instagram, a very interesting comment came about from, he's a former Raven now, maybe he'll come back to the team, but Marcus Peters, who said that he was missing his guys out there, had a crying emoji. So I know there was a lot of speculation, you know, is this a Marcus Peters thing? Is he looking for a situation or money or whatnot? Or is it a Ravens thing where maybe they just like their guys or they, or they want to just explore new options? Seems like with that comment, it's more of a Ravens thing. And the conversation all offseason has been, well, should they bring them back? They bring in... Rocky Asin, and he's a very solid, I think, number two, number three guy. But after Marlon Humphrey, who, look, we know is the top five corner in this league, no question. And then Rocky Asin, it's it's younger guys. It's Pepe Williams, Jalen Armour Davis, Trayvon Mullen, Caillou Blue Kelly. So having that veteran presence, such as Marcus Peters, I think wouldn't hurt. But Q, in your estimation, you know, we're right at the end of May here. Do you think that the Ravens should bring back Marcus Peters soon, or do you feel like it's not a necessity at this point? I think when you look at leverage, and again, it's not the regular season, and there's a time for pay, and there's a time for play. The offseason is a time for pay. 
And with that comes the leverage game. If you got it, Lamar Jackson, then, yeah, at some point in time, the team is going to have to yield and show up. If it is a scenario where the team has leverage, Calais Campbell, uh, Marcus Peters, then uh, or even, heck, Patrick Queen, where he doesn't get his, his fifth-year option, you're in a position where you have to be so patient and not be in the uh, camp of, well, you know, they, they want me. No, they don't want me. And, and kind of play these these mind games with yourself. you got to really stay locked in. you got to be ready because you never know when your number uh, is going to ring and, and they truly do want you. So, so what does that mean? Clayus Campbell, he was wanted and other teams were willing to pay. Sure enough, for uh, a man of his age, upper 30s, boom, he got a good signing bonus and got some good guaranteed funds. Whereas Marcus Peters, who's coming off of an injury, and at the same time, it, he didn't quite look the part last year, uh, and he has a volatile sort of personality. Well, it's a scenario where you're going to have to just be patient and hopefully – you know, when the development of young guys, I mean, we've heard that phrase so many times, but it rings true. But when those developing players are, you know, if you're casting a long shadow over those developing players and, 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 and you know as an organization and that's not healthy, then, you know, you, the veteran player, it's a waiting game. And, and if you get yourself in a great position, cool. If you don't, like Marcus Peters, you got your – you know, little emoji of tearfulness and saying you miss people. And I think a lot of people have been wondering just why is the situation transpired the way it has, especially because I think people expected a market for him. It just felt like there's been no market this offseason. There was the visit with the Raiders that was reported a couple of weeks ago. But a lot of people were anticipating, even though he did have a down year, I mean, we can admit he did not play very well last season coming off of that injury. People still thought, you know, serviceable veteran guy, maybe just needed a year to come back up off the injury. And just Rebig at the Athletic, very trustworthy, ended up giving his insight into what he has heard and his opinion on the situation. And he said that last year was a struggle, his frustration was palpable, and he thinks it boiled over on a few occasions. And he said that the Ravens love him and he believes the door's still open, but thinks that they'd like to see some of their younger guys and they're still mulling over the personality and a salary fit. So some of the stuff you just touched on there, Q, you just talked about a little bit with, I mean, we saw last year, there was that one, I can't remember what game it was, but it was at the end of the game and, and Marcus Peters and John Harbaugh like got into it. Like it was a very heated conversation. That was some of that frustration there. And I'm sure it was frustrating for him to have the season he did coming off of the injury. And I've said it a bunch of times, Q, we, we've had the conversation where all those guys coming off injuries from 2021 Dobbins and Edwards and Stanley and Peters, et cetera, it was very unlikely all of them were going to be able to bounce back in such a huge way. I mean, Dobbins looked great. Stanley looked like he was bounced back. Edwards, same thing. But Peters was the guy who didn't look all that good. So do you feel like, Q, this is a situation where maybe it's a midseason thing where the Ravens could say, look, we're going to roll with the young guys at first. They have Rocky Estin and Marlon Humphrey. And if that doesn't work midseason and Marcus Peters still isn't signed, they say, okay, Marcus, we need you. Come on back. Come on back. Do they have the ability to do they have the luxury to even do that with how competitive the AFC is going to be this year? I think they do. I think that what is in his favor 
is the quote that the Ravens rely heavily upon. You can always use more corners. And even though that sounds like, okay, you know, yeah, Ozzy said it, haha, you can always use more corners. Meaning that it just takes one quick injury and next thing you know, you're looking and trying to get the third or fourth corner. And then you have rotation issues and then you have special teams issues. You can always use more corners because this is a passing attack league and you got to have guys that can cover. And especially in Mike McDonald's offense, or I'm sorry, defense going up against these pass-heavy offenses, he oftentimes put guys out on an island. And so I think for the corners, they have to be solid and sound in their technique, but the depth for now looks good, but it could change at an instant. And so that's where I think of Marcus Peters. You know, you have to stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And in that mantra and mindset, if he's still working and doing his thing, and, you know, I know he and, and Eric probably had had some you know, conversations and, and all the like. But if no one's really going for you, the Ravens aren't necessarily having to, right at this juncture, go for you. And then also, like technically speaking, you know, if you're a Marcus Peters, you, you have so much leverage in the fact that you know what you're doing. Like, I'm chilling. I'm not trying to, you know, overly stress myself in – a, a football team-oriented scenario. I'll, I'll have plenty of time to be stressing. Right now, I just want to go ahead and focus in on what's important, which is my ultimate health. Yeah, and I, I always say that with Marcus Peters, people see the personality, and I think people some people do call it an explosive personality, but you know who else had an explosive personality and has fit in just like Marcus Peters has in Baltimore? Steve Smith. He came into Baltimore and everybody said, oh, you know, he's he's no way he's going to fit in there. The Ravens and Steve Smith, that relationship was incredible with Marcus Peters in Kansas City. It didn't really go well. I just, it wasn't really a fit there. He goes to Los Angeles and everybody loves him in L.A. The stories, you know, he, he had great teammates there. His teammates loved him. Then he comes to Baltimore and the huge question was, well, what about the personality? Is he going to fit mm-hmm. in? And then we now know that Peters loves Baltimore. Baltimore loves Peters. And that situation where, you know, John Harbaugh says he loves Marcus Peters. Eric DaCosta says he loves Marcus Peters. That's not a lie. Like, I think they, they genuinely mean that. And you can tell that they mean it. But at this point, do they want to see what Pepe Williams has? Do they want to see what Jaron Armour Davis has in guys like Trayvon Mullen, Caillou Blue Kelly? I think it's a little bit of a risk. But at the same time, Marcus Peters didn't necessarily play Super Bowl. I think, though, that the Ravens can afford to take a risk in signing Marcus Peters to say, well, look, if it doesn't work out there, you still have Rocky Asi and you still have Marlon. Look, if Marlon Humphrey goes down, the room is toast anyway. Like, that's just that just is what it is. Unless they trade for Jair Alexander or someone like that, it is what it is. But having that three-corner trio of Humphrey, Peters, and Yassine, I think sounds pretty good, but we'll see what happens. Maybe it is a midseason signing. They have him on the back burners, or maybe it's more of a Justin Houston situation where they bring him in towards the later, later part of the offseason. But coming up in our second part of the show, we'll be diving into what Lamar Jackson had to say at OTAs and takeaways from week one of voluntary OTAs for the Ravens. So be sure to stay tuned for that. We'll be right back here on Lockdown Ravens. But first, this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious snack with all the sugar and calories and you need the best tasting protein bar ever, if you're like me, you want to eat healthier and make healthier snack choices, but you don't want to compromise on taste, 
I've got just a thing for you with Built Bars and Built Puffs. Built Bars are healthy and they taste amazing. What makes them so good is for starters, they're covered in 100% real dark chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and cookies and cream. And they have only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't even need to wait to get a box. You've been talking about ordering Built Bars at Built.com. And now you can get to them at your local Walmart or a Sam's Club when you can still get your local specialty flavors at Built.com. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section or grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You pick up a 4-bar box of cookies and cream bar, double chocolate bar, or coconut puff. And if you're close to a Sam's Club, or I'm grab a 13-bar box of their flavors, such as brownie batter puff and churro puff. You can thank me later. We're back. Our second part of Purple Friday here on Locked On Ravens. Kevin Oshaker still here with Kadri Ismael. And Q, week one of OTAs are in the books. The Ravens got out onto the field. Mm-hmm. And Lamar Jackson was there for the second day, the first day available yeah. to the media. We saw the, the hype videos of him coming down. And, and again, a gratifying feeling seeing that. And then spoke to the media after the fact. And a very interesting key comment, which I talked about on yesterday's show, made it made at the forefront of yesterday's show, was the fact that he was asked about, you know, what he liked from the new offense and said that he feels like, you know, the coaches said, you know, getting handed the keys to the offense. And he was asked, you know, you know, what does that mean, Lamar? What does it mean that they're getting handed the keys here? And he says just the freedoms to, you know, if you see a blitzer off the edge, you can make a certain call. You can adjust here. And Q, I think this is something we should have seen a lot earlier for Lamar Jackson. No fault of Lamar, obviously, but just the way that Greg Roman, I don't think, gave him those keys. We've seen quarterbacks in their second years, their third years, their fourth years begin to get more and more and more responsibility in the offense, and we just didn't see it. Part of that being the play clock issues, which I know drove us crazy (laughs) during Greg Roman's time in Baltimore, where Lamar didn't have time to get out to the line and kind of see stuff and sort out everybody and motion guys over because the clock was at two by the time he got his hand on the ball and he had to snap the football to make sure the penalties weren't there. I think this could be a more organized offense. And I think giving the keys to Lamar is honestly the right and smart decision for Baltimore. So I think part of quarterbacking in the league is, is really about chemistry and and the right fits. So what does that mean? That means that, you know, Peyton Manning, you know, he wasn't exactly lighting it up when he first got to Indianapolis and people were doubting whether or not he was going to be an upper tier quarterback. Look how that worked out. Uh, He, really struggled when it came to the playoffs. Look how that all worked out. Um, I think when we, as the people from a fan base perspective, also from uh, the media aspect of things, don't recognize just how critical like adjustments, in-game adjustments that then carry over into the week and it becomes a part of your lexicon and how you you coach football. And so I think for Lamar and for Greg Roman, you know, Greg was just so like adapt to the way in which his offensive linemen could make calls, um, run protection, (laughs) run protection call, not passing calls. And, and, and it led to Lamar, you know, yeah, being, you know, kind of pigeonholed and uh, yeah, sure. We're going to pass, but it just wasn't rhythmic. Um, rhythmic means that getting into a groove and, and you know, seeing what the defense is giving you, not just running the ball. And, and I think that's what Lamar is saying when it comes to, you know, the film don't lie. He's going to be looking at the film and recognizing that from a film aspect of things, if we have these concepts in and the defense tries to show its hand 
then these concepts are going to work. You know, that's ultimately quarterbacking 101, having full command of the offense, putting your guys in position, sure, but taking advantage of the defense while under pressure and making those micro um, adjustments that will reap benefits in the macro, my God, man. I mean, that that's that's everything you want in a coordinator and uh, coordinator slash quarterback relationship. And I think that's – it's sounding like so far so good. They're off to a great start. Yeah, it seems like the early chemistry is definitely there. But you, you made a good point, Q, which is the whole run-pass option of this offense, which they might not be running those run-pass options, but when it comes to actually running versus passing the football – we're going to see a lot more throws this year from Lamar Jackson. I'm very excited for that. And Lamar himself is very excited for that. And, you know, I go back where he was asked, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but he said, oh, he was asked, you know, do you enjoy running and throwing the football more? And he said throwing and everyone's like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a quarterback and he's good at throwing. Like, what, what do you yeah. want from him? But the thing is, he's good at throwing the football. He's also good at running the football. It, it's him and the dynamic ability he has both with his arm and with his legs. So I know the concerns of some people, Q, is, oh, well, you know, he's so good at running and he's picking up chunk yards with those plays. You know, when he throws the football, how are they going to get that? We've seen him like we've seen him do it for his five years here. I'm excited to see Lamar throw the football more. I think it will benefit the Ravens offense. And the thing is, Q, it's not like they're going in there and saying we're going to throw the football more. And he has the receiving core from 2020 or the receiving core from 2021. There's no Seth Roberts walking to that door. No disrespect to Seth Roberts or any of those other guys. But it's Odell, it's Rashad Bateman, it's Zay Flowers, et cetera, Devin DuVernay, Nelson Aguilar. Not only are the Ravens going to throw the football a lot more this year, they're a lot more equipped to do it as well. Yeah, I, I think part of 2019, I go back, and and I believe that was the Miami coming out party for the entire offense, but in particular, when the defense was crowding the line of scrimmage and they gave the slightest of run pass look and Marquise Brown was just cooking them. You know, that take your top off or take the top off the defense kind of a mindset is because of the physical nature of the way in which you run the ball. That combination is is a defensive coordinator's nightmare. And now you look at it and the Philadelphia Eagles have kind of set the tone when it comes to the RPO uh, with Jalen Hurts and, and the way Jalen Hurts basically was like, look, I could sling it around and go ahead. He was really adept at looking at some of the concepts that they had and how they can attack a defense. So there really were no surprises when it came to how we're going to stop you know, this dynamic quarterback in Jalen, I think for Lamar, you know, it, it's everybody knows he's going to run the football. Everybody knows he's going to pass the football. But now you don't know Jack Diddley. And, oh, by the way, he's still dynamic when it comes to his ability to run. So, you you know, it's more of a pick your poison kind of a mantra with him and how that all is going to uh, unfold is the exciting part. I, I, I'm telling you, like, you know, I don't want to put the cart before the horse. I do want to allow this to play out. I don't really care for the names on the back of the jerseys. I just want to get those names to the regular season healthy. Then you can start talking about whatever you want to talk about. 
Yeah, and some of the stuff that both John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson said about Todd Munkin and the coaching style, very hands-on, which I think early on when it's long in new offense, yeah, you have to be. But it's almost like the vibes are different, it feels like, from what they had to say. And I know last year, Q, it felt like towards the, the middle part, the end part of the year, the vibes seemed a little off, I guess is the word. How, how important are the vibes, especially early now as you're trying to build chemistry with this new offense and getting this new offensive system down as quickly and as efficiently as possible? So if you go back to what Lamar said, he was like, yeah, the verbiage is a little bit longer. Um, so verbiage is everything. And the comfort level of the verbiage, obviously a quarterback can look at his wristband and, you know, he can get the plays that way. But I think if you're a receiver on the outside and you have a lot of verbiage, you know, it can cause you to brain freeze. And you're like, you'd be sitting there looking down the line of scrimmage like, all right, I think I got a go route, but I'm not sure if it's supposed to break off versus a certain – you know, too deep safety, look. Yeah, 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 I got it. Oops, I'm wrong. And oops, I'm wrong can be chill in practice, but oops, I'm wrong could turn into six points and you're on the opposite side of the, the win column and now you're taking L and, you, you're, you know, people are questioning you. So knowing that it's wordy, knowing that he's there to kind of work through some things, you know, I, I think that's something that's that's a value. I think that, you know, ultimately we're going to see whether or not this team, you know, can handle the scrutiny, number one. But then number two, you know, how is it going to be within themselves between the ears as they now mentally try to figure out what is what within that offense? Like, who is the guy? Who is going to be that guy? I think generically speaking, you can um, – you can put out a lot of plays. You can have, you know, guys talk about just how good uh, such and such play is or player is. But, you know, once you start game planning and, and, and it starts to come to fruition, who's going to start, who's going to get the balls the most or whatever, then that's when you, you, you kind of start to smile and say, hey, man, we're playing chess while y'all playing checkers. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be optimistic about and a lot to be excited about with this offense, especially with the changes that, you know, I think Greg Roman did some good things in Baltimore, but it just, it was not a fit for what this Ravens team wanted to do. I think Todd Monken is a much better fit for them. And I, I think that'll pay dividends coming up here for this 2023 season. Coming up on our final part of the show, though, we're diving into some miscellaneous Ravens notes. We'll talk about Chuck Clark in his spicy comments to that New York Jets media. We'll also talk a bit about Josh Johnson, the new third quarterback rule, and a lot more coming up next on Locked on Ravens. We are back rounding out Locked on Ravens here. Kevin Ostriker here with Kaji Ismail still as we break down some miscellaneous stuff is some, I guess, littler stories broke over the course of the week. And I think one which actually did get a lot of attention was the fact that Chuck Clark, you had some pretty spicy comments in the New York media. Now, we all know that Chuck Clark, I don't think, was necessarily very happy with his role after he got these two safeties brought in on him during the 2022 offseason, Marcus Williams and Frazier Kyle Hamilton in the draft, and ended up saying that to the New York media, saying he was ready to get out of there, said he felt disrespected at the time, the things that were getting said to him. So some some shade was thrown there, and it was a very big switch up from what he said during exit interviews, which was, you know, this is the team that drafted me. I've been here all my career. I'm comfortable here. And let me say, from January to May, stuff can change. A lot can change in a time frame like that. I'm not saying Chuck Clark got up there and lie, but I will say that, you know, when you're still employed by that team, 
you might not go up there and say, I hate it here. Get me out <laughs> to the media, to the local media there. So what's your whole take on this Chuck Clark situation? Cause we know he regressed the trade. We knew it was out there and we all just thought it was done and over with when he got traded. But these comments, I guess, do they shed new light on anything for you or was it just more of the same, just in a spicier tilt? It was somewhat of a spicier tilt, but I don't think, you know, he, you know, everybody talks about how well he is as a, as a teammate, you know, his cerebralness, his, his sturdiness, you know, playing in every game and, you know, obviously being in, in a significant role, special teams wise and all the rest. Bruh, when you can play, they tolerate you. When you can't play, all of a sudden those same things become intolerant. And it's like, oh, you, you, you are frustrating me and whatever it might be, that all kind of builds up. So my point is, is that, yeah, if you're in a situation where you're looking for praise and they're not giving it to you, then you're going to look for any little slight and that that one particular slight, you know, could be the first round draft choice. And so you're in the meetings and he's getting a little bit more love than you. And you're like, wait a minute, bro, I'm the one who was making big plays against the Bengals or I'm the one making key tackles or recovering fumbles against Cleveland and uh, Pittsburgh. And I'm the one being this vocal leader as well as not what I say, but what I do type of a guy. So. It's a tough situation, but again, it's his business, and you gotta be of the mindset of being business and don't take it personal. Right, and for me, the whole thing was for Chuck Clark. I think a really good player for the Ravens, but was he the best safety in the NFL? No, he was not. And so it wasn't like the Ravens said, "Oh, you know, we have you, Chuck Clark. You're one of the best safeties in the league. We're gonna bring in two other safeties and Marcus Williams and Kyle Hamilton." They felt like they could utilize all these guys together. But I think, and Jess Rebeck, I think, said something along the lines of he felt like he was getting a new contract, and then two mm -hmm. guys were brought in, and then all of a sudden you're thinking, you know, there's there's no contract and essentially almost no future, if you think about it, with the team because you have those two young guys in there. So, look, I'm not saying Chuck Clark, if that was the case, is wrong to say, oh, well, you know, I was in this mindset, but then something different happened, and so now I, I feel this type of way. I would have probably felt some type of way, too, if that happened to me. So at the end of the day – I think, again, he's in New York. That situation is what it is. But another safety cue we can talk about is Tony Jefferson, a former Ravens safety, retired from the NFL, but is not retiring from football as a whole. He's going to be back with the Ravens working in a scouting role. And this is something cool we've seen, right, with, with Sam Cook and Anthony Levine and these other Ravens or former Ravens players where they're able to get involved with the organization directly after retiring, something they've done, you know, they're they're known as an organization that is able to treat their players both in their football careers and outside of it when they're done playing with a lot of respect and give them opportunities. I think it's really cool also because Tony Jefferson clearly loves Baltimore, loves the organization, said that as much during right before he was eventually unfortunately cut during the Ravens 2022 roster cut down, but seems like he really loves the organization and I'm happy for him. That he's able to get back here and, and talk about being a general manager and you know, wanting that to be a goal. And so yeah. I'm, I'm happy he's back. Someone who was a leader, both on and off the field for them and a beloved yeah. member of the community for sure. Everything you're saying is spot on everything, you know, Tony Jefferson, you're absolutely right. Met him a few times. Good dude, humble dude, you know, understands who he is and you know, you can't ask for a better teammate than that. I know that 
you know, sometimes football, it, it, it throws you these weird uh, curves, if you will. And, and it's, it's all how you perceive it for yourself. It's all how you um, handle it. I think he handled it well. I think he handled it to the best of his ability. It was a little interesting as far as uh, the sour grapes of him, you know, going in front of the media and, and kind of saying what he said. Um, maybe there's more to it than what I'm kind of downplaying. I don't know. But I think, you know, his mindset should be one where, you know, I appreciated the organization, loved it. and But I'm a Jet right now. Let's talk about the Jets. Yeah. And I think also – for the Ravens and what they have as an organization, it's very rare. You kind of see those comments made about them. Like, obviously there are some former players that, you know, aren't in love with the organization. I know Bernard Pollard is kind of the, the poster <laughs> child for that whole situation and what has, yeah. what has happened over Twitter over the past couple of however many years you want to say that, but mm -hmm. you know, for Chuck Clark and Tony Jefferson, I mean, th those are two guys who I think provided a lot to the organization as players for them. And, and e however they handle it, it's not that is not going to get taken away from them. Chuck Clark played really well for them. Tony Jefferson also played well. I know he had a cup. It wasn't a great start for him. I never really thought that in his first tenure with the Ravens, the fit on the field was the best. I feel like he was a certain type of player. The Ravens envisioned a role for him and it just, it just didn't work. But Clark was someone, and both these guys, both Tony Jefferson and Chuck Clark kind of worked their way up, got rewarded. And, you know, for now, Chuck Clark is a Jet. For now, Tony Jefferson is retired. And, and that's yeah. just the reality of the situation right now. You know, what, one quick note on all of that. It's interesting because, yeah, you do want to do plan B. And I think, you know, for uh, Tony Jefferson, it's, hey, I, I've built up these relationships and I can have plan B. So that's kudos to the Ravens for cultivating a diverse uh, work environment. Uh, but then, you know, you look at with, with, with Chuck Clark and the sour grapes, um, it's not a good look for Chuck Clark in particular. Uh, I'm sure people will think otherwise, but yeah, you know, I, I don't, I personally don't think it's cool, you know, that you, you're, you're kind of bad mouth, if you will, because yeah, you, you, you know, who you are and you, you don't have to, you know, go down that sloppy road. It's, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for uh, Tony Jefferson as well. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm open for, I guess, getting in like new information on that Chuck Clark situation. Cause I'm very curious, like what was the disrespect? I don't know if we're ever going to hear it, but was this a situation of like, did he feel disrespected because they brought in Marcus Williams and Kyle Hamilton into him that said, well, we don't believe in your ability to be a consistent player for us and we're going to give you a new role. Or was it literally like someone in the organization said something disrespectful to his face and that's a whole different conversation. So I think there are multiple types of disrespect in how either you or I would interpret it, how Chuck Clark would interpret it. So I, it's, a, it's such an odd situation to me, but I don't know, maybe something will come out one day about it. Maybe it won't, and we'll just forget about it, and that'll be that, and, and Chuck Clark is a jet. But he was speaking <laughs> of a guy who is uh, on a different team, well, actually his third time around on a different team, Josh Johnson coming in, playing with the Ravens for a third stint. He's been on an NFL record, 14 teams. And this is it's a, it's a low-risk move. Look, bringing in Josh Johnson means the Ravens are winning a Super Bowl. 
No. Doesn't mean they're not. No. It's just a low risk type of move. But with the new third quarterback rule, that's something that I know John Harbaugh talked about during practice, said that, you know, he, he's, he was all for it. The organization obviously had their hands in it. But with Josh Johnson and maybe he said he said Josh Johnson going to compete for that number two spot. I think that ultimately will be Tyler Huntley, but he's kind of just saying it. I think the third spot, though, between maybe a Josh Johnson and Anthony Brown is is the spot to watch where that's the competition. And then whoever loses that is on the practice squad, which, again, you look at that quarterback room. Lamar Jackson's a star. Everything goes through him. If he goes down, obviously the, the ceiling and the floor drops for the Ravens. But then the backup situation, Tyler Huntley, Anthony Brown, Josh Johnson. I'm content with that is or the is the backup for Lamar. Yeah, you know, I think the Brock Purdy rule was uh, a necessity because it didn't look good to see the way the 49ers were being and it didn't look organic. Um, I think at the same time, it also forced Brock Purdy to go back into the locker room, come back out, play. You know, your, your UCL ligament is jacked. But with that said, from a Ravens perspective, they got a guy that they're very familiar with, went into some games, and again, as long as that minus is chilling, you know, eat, uh, drinking his pina colada, I, I like the move a lot. Give us the extra people that you can utilize on game day. Yep, and I know a lot of my roster projections had two quarterbacks for him, so this rule obviously would – with all the technicalities mean it would be three on their 53 man roster. So maybe a lose a defensive lineman or a corner or an offensive lineman here or there. But at the end of the day, I think it is worth it so that you don't have to go through what San Francisco went through. And especially for them in such a high leverage game there against the Eagles in the NFC championship game. So I think again, Tyler Huntley, Anthony Brown, Josh Johnson, three very capable backups. Obviously they're not on the level of Lamar Jackson, but you know, if they have to go out there and maybe win you a game or two, if if, you, if they had to, they could be options for that. But Q, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for diving into more Raven stuff with me here today, as always. And next week, again, this is like the low period of the offseason. Things will slow down. But maybe Justin Houston, maybe Marcus Peters comes into town. Who knows what happens? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it from a veteran perspective, I wouldn't really want to kind of come in early. You, you get your body beat down before the season even starts so yeah take your time do your thing and when it's time to call me no i'll be ready to go yeah we saw some of those veterans not come in odell beckham or, or mark andrews as well but john harbaugh said you know they're doing their thing over out in arizona and wherever else they are so again mm -hmm. it is man it is not mandatory it is not mandatory so they don't have to be there <laughs> and you don't that you can't they can't be forced and if they're not there and they're working out doing their own thing that, that's completely okay. But I appreciate you, Q. Thank you so much. That's all I have for you here today on Locked On Ravens. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to like the video, subscribe on YouTube, also subscribe in audio form as well. It is free. When we get back here on Monday, more Ravens content for you. So be sure to stay tuned for that, and I'll see you right back here on Monday.